My name is uh, Mehul Shah. I'm the uh, general manager of AWS Glue and AWS Lake Formation. And uh, today I'm going to show you how easy it is to build a data lake using Lake Formation. Um, we'll be giving you a demo today, and we'll be getting it up and running literally in the span of this, uh, in this hour. Uh, with me, I have my product manager, lead product manager, Janu Damarla. He's going to be um, running the demo. And I also have our, one of our key customers, friends, and partners, Joe Super. Um, at the end of this talk, he's going to be giving you his story or their story on, and on how they use lake formation to get their data lake in production and the values and benefits that they got from it. So let's get started. Um, quickly, I'm going to go over a, a quick outline of my talk. First, I'm going to tell you some of the trends that are driving the revolution that's causing or leading our customers to build data lakes today and why um, they're building those data lakes. I'll tell you what a data lake is, why it was hard to build data lakes prior to lake formation launching, and how lake formation makes it easy. And we're going to be going through that demo and setting it up um, today. Um, I'll also tell you a little bit about some of the technology underpinning lake formation and some of the cool stuff that you can use uh, to make this stuff easy. So in the past, about 20, 30 years ago, enterprise data warehouses were all the rage. Okay? Every enterprise that you saw um, was building a centralized information hub called an enterprise data warehouse. They would take all their structured data from their structured databases, um, their OLTP systems, ERP systems, CRM systems, extract all that data, merge it all together into a one big schema, and then load it into an enterprise data warehouse. And that's where they would do all of their analysis. All of the reporting, the BI, would be happening over that data warehouse. And then they'd get an understanding of how their business was running um, and how to optimize their business. Now, this ETL process was a centralized process. Um, getting this big schema put together took some time. Sometimes it would take months to get it together. And of course, if you ever had to kind of change anything, well, it was brittle and time-consuming and cumbersome. But you'd do it. Now, enterprise data warehouses today are no longer the center of information. They're still an important piece of the puzzle, um, but they're no longer the information hub for an enterprise. And there are good reasons for this. One of the biggest reasons is that the data that enterprises want to analyze no longer fit in data warehouses. There's a lot more data than people think. When we look across our customer base, nearly every five years, the amount of data that they store and analyze grows by an order of magnitude. So if they're starting out at you know, terabytes of data, we're looking at petabytes of data um, for the lifetime of the data platform that they're using. Or if you're at petabytes today, you're going to end up wanting to be at exabytes. And data warehouses are just not cost effective at those scales. Another reason for this is that the data that they want to analyze is much more diverse. It's no longer just structured data. You want to go and analyze your unstructured as well as your semi-structured data. These include things like your emails and chat logs, um, social networking feeds, network logs, application logs, click streams, ad tech logs, and so on and so forth. There are also many more people that want to analyze this data, many different, different types of personas that are going after this data in an enterprise. Um, it's no longer that you have business users wanting to do SQL analytics over the data. You also have data scientists wanting to build machine learning models and running inference over this data. 
could have scientists actually analyzing this data in healthcare and life sciences. Um, you have a DevOps culture these days, and you want to be doing analysis over real-time streaming logs so you can alert when things go bad. So all kinds of new things people want to do with this data. And in response to the variety of workloads and analytics and people that want to analyze this data, enterprises want to democratize access to this data. They don't want to have to go through a central IT process to be able to give access to any one person in the organization. But at the same time, there is sort of a tension because there is even more regulatory pressure these days for, from governments and at, at the enterprise level to make sure that the right people get the right access to the right data at the right time. And so new tools are needed. And this is where the cloud comes in. And thank goodness, right? Because the cloud is a game changer. That's why you're here. And what we see on the cloud is a revolution. People are no longer building enterprise data warehouses, but instead putting together data lakes on the cloud. And at the center of a data lake is really its storage system. And on, in Amazon and AWS, it's Amazon S3 storage system that people are using. S3, why S3? Well, because S3 is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. You can access it from anywhere. It's highly available. It's inexpensive or cost-effective highly scalable, and incredibly reliable. We give you most 11 nines of reliability or durability. Basically, once you put data in there, it's going to be there forever, unless, of course, you delete it. And what we see is our customers putting all of their on-premise batch data into these data lakes. They're also spooling a lot of their real-time streaming data from their IoT logs, application logs, network logs, all being uh, put into S3. The other nice thing about the cloud is that you have many more primitives, many more services that you can use to analyze the data in situ while it's sitting on S3. You have Amazon Redshift, which is our data warehousing service, but you can also use SageMaker, for example, for ML, machine learning, um, EMR for big data analytics, QuickSight for business intelligence, and uh, Amazon Athena for ad hoc SQL analytics. And these services are available on demand. They scale automatically for you. Uh, you only pay as you go. Um, it's great, and you can shut it down when you don't need it. And so what's left is a way, and what's needed is a way to organize all your data in S3, secure that data so that it can be shared efficiently and securely, and multiplex that data or make it available to all of these services. And you want a single locus of control for all of that. And that is what a data lake is. The data lake is the new information hub in an enterprise. It's the centralized, secure repository that enables you, our customers, to govern, discover, share, and analyze both structured and unstructured data at any scale. And on AWS, we have more than 10,000 data lakes. It's more data lakes than anywhere else. And here's sort of a selection of customers that are building large data lakes on our platform. And since we launched a few months ago, here's a selection of customers that are actually building data lakes using lake formation, because it makes it much easier for them to go build it. There are companies like insurance companies, um, financial services companies, uh, healthcare companies, solves a lot of different use cases. 
And what are they saying? They're saying three main things. One, that it's really simple and easy to set up their security where previously it was incredibly difficult and hard. Two, it's easier to ingest the data and get it set up. And three, it is much simpler and more feasible, more inexpensive to clean the data than it was before. So what was hard about building lakes, data lakes before lake formation? Well, exactly all the things that lake formation solves. It was hard to clean your data and secure your data in a data lake. and used to take months to do it. And here's why. There's actually many steps involved in building a data lake. More importantly, there are many different types of skill sets that you need to go build a data lake and use it. You have different personas that take care of different parts of this process. For example, data engineers are the ones that typically do the ingestion and cleaning or the data preparation that are needed for the data lake. They set up storage, move or extract the data from their sources, and then load it into um, a target, S3 in this case, clean it and prep it so it's canonicalized so you can actually do something with the data. And you've all heard about how much time and effort this takes, right? I think the adage goes about, about in any analytics project, about 80% of the time or effort goes into cleaning and prepping your data. But one of the things that's overlooked or really not talked about as much is the amount of time and effort it takes to secure and enforce security policies and compliance policies for your data. And that's also part of building and managing data lakes. And typically, you have data stewards doing this. And then finally, you have to make all of this data available, accessible through a variety of analytics engines. And you want to make sure that you can serve the needs of data analysts, business users, data scientists. I want to give you a quick sample of the steps that were required to actually build a data lake on AWS prior to lake formation, just to give you an understanding of how complex this could be. First, for example, um, Here's an, an account which a bunch of, with a bunch of RDS databases, the sources that you would need to go and extract data from. You'd have to send up, set up landing areas where the data would land. In this case, you'd have probably set up landing areas in Amazon S3, set up a bunch of locations or buckets. Then you'd have to set up access policies on these S3 buckets. These are IAM policies written in JSON, not a natural language for a lot of people. right? Um, and these policies are at the level of objects, S3 objects, API accesses, and paths. Really doesn't map to the kind of data structures and sort of data sets that you have when you're doing analytics, when you're thinking about tables and databases and rows and columns. And so actually getting these policies to work exactly right the way you want it to was very difficult. There were all kinds of limitations on what you could express, how big these policies could get, and where you had to actually specify all these policies in many different places. So it's hard to even know who had access to what. In some cases, customers would um, have too much access, give too much access to their users. Um, and in other cases, they wouldn't give enough access so users that wanted to get access to data that they had rights to couldn't. All right, well, so far all you've done is set up policies and set up spaces, but you actually haven't done anything in terms of loading data. So one thing you need to do is represent the data. So you could use the data catalog to represent the data that's sitting inside of your S3 buckets, set up a schema for your tables and your databases. 
then you have to load the data from your sources. And typically, you're going to use some kind of ETL system. In this case, AWS Glue is an ETL product that you could use. It would you know, help you write a PySpark program that would get data from your databases into S3, but you'd have to know how to code. In this case, this is a PySpark program. You're not done quite yet. Remember the metadata that you set up? There might be sensitive information in there, so you have to set up metadata access policies as well and who can access that metadata. And this itself is written in JSON, not a natural language for people. Okay, we're still not done yet. Now imagine you want to analyze this data through uh, a data warehouse like Redshift. You'll have to log in and set up the cluster. But beyond just setting up the cluster, you'd have to set up users, roles that can access those bucket policies, uh, access those buckets and adjust the policies so those roles um, allow that, so those policies allow that access. And then once you're done, you're going to have to rinse and repeat this for every new data set that you bring in, for different users as they add and come in, and every new end service has a slightly different configuration than the next. And of course, you're going to have to manage this as you go forward and update the policies as these things change. If I haven't you know, made the point yet, this is an error-prone and a time-consuming process. And this is why it used to take months. Well, no longer. With LakeFormation, we can make this all super easy. LakeFormation is a fully managed service that enables data engineers, data stewards, and data analysts to build clean and secure data lakes in days. Let's take a look at what LakeFormation or the solution stack in LakeFormation looks like and what benefits it provides. We already talked about the storage, which is cost-effective and durable and globally replicated, so you can you know, get access it from everywhere. LakeFormation first provides a set of tools that allow you to ingest that data and clean that data in a way where data engineers no longer have to do a lot of the undifferentiated heavy lifting. They simply just use a bunch of templates that get the data in there. And so they can get the data in there and enables them to build other things much faster. The main value proposition of LakeFormation is around security. You can actually manage all of your fine-grained permissions and your security policies in a single place that's alongside a data catalog. And you can also keep track of all the accesses to your data lake in a single place. It lets you audit all of the accesses that are there so that you can comply with various regulations and um, work with auditors to uh, you know, uh, meet audit, uh, auditing requirements. And finally, there are a set of new uh, features that allow you to discover, share these data sets in a secure way, in an uh, efficient way. And all of these various integrated services allow any user using any one of these services, doing any one of these tasks, to access the data, and all of these security policies will be uniformly applied. So it's not the case that one service allows more access than another. All right, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to walk through uh, some of the features that Lake Formation provides, and we're actually going to demo it um, one sort of user persona at a time. We're going to start with the data engineer. We're going to talk about blueprints and how Lake Formation makes it easy for these data engineers to simplify the ingest process. Should we switch over? Yep. All right, so what um, Chenu here is going to show you is the process of first registering buckets or locations in, in buckets so that um, Lake Formation can manage that area. 
what he's doing is he's picking a, a bucket that we've already set up for you, um, a landing area effectively. Go ahead and select that. That's going to be managed by Lake Formation. And he's going to pass it a role. It's that role that's conferring access to Lake Formation, saying you can manage this area and you can carve up the access to that area as you see fit. Go ahead and register the location there. All right. Next, um, you need to give users, basically pers different personas, access to those locations so they can load the data. So go to data locations, grant. And so he's going to pick um, a user here. It's basically a data lake admin. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah. And that data lake admin is going to use the lake formation role. And that data lake admin is going to have the right to write into that bucket that we just gave access, that, that we just um, um, uh, registered inside of lake formation. Go ahead. Now we're going to create a database. In this demo, what we're going to be doing is we're actually going to be taking CloudTrail data. Now, CloudTrail basically um, records all of the API accesses that are done by a single account. And we're going to import it into our data lake and then query it using a variety of query engines. And so what he's done here is create a database where we're going to put the CloudTrail data. And the location for the database is the same bucket that we uh, registered. Go ahead. And now we need to give our user permissions to create tables in that database. So let's go do that. There's our lake formation role again. The database is CloudTrail demo. And what you'll notice is the permissions that we're giving are the ability to create tables and modify the metadata, and as well as drop those tables. In that, uh, in that database to the user that's going to ingest the data into the data lake. Go ahead. All right. Now we've set things up. We've added a landing area. Now let's actually get the data in there. To get the data in there, you can use blueprints. Blueprints are basically just templates. What they are, go ahead and click on it, are a collection of um, prepackaged pre templates uh, that you can use to set up workflows that grab data or extract data from various sources. In this case, we have templates that extract data from databases, like most MySQL and Postgres, Oracle, and SQL Server, as well as templates that um, grab uh, popular log formats, um, log types like CloudTrail or ELB logs, bring it into your data lake, and organize it in an optimized fashion so that you can query it fast using Athena, Redshift, and the other analytics engines. So let's use a blueprint. Let's use the CloudTrail blueprint. Now, when you're using a blueprint, what you need to do is give it a bunch of parameters so it knows what you're bringing in. In this case, we're bringing in the lake formation demo trail. And we're going to bring in a day's worth of CloudTrail data. We have to tell it where it's going to go. So in this case, it's going to go into our target database, into our target location. And the data format is going to be Parquet. Parquet is one of these columnar formats that people use that are optimized for doing that make analytics run fast. We can run it on demand or in a continuous fashion. In this case, we're just going to run it once. So we're going to run it on demand. And all it's going to do is just take a snapshot of that data and bring it into our data lake. He's, when, you create this, when you use the blueprint to create a template, uh, so create a workflow, 
that, um, that workflow is actually uh, running inside of AWS Glue. And so you need to give the workflow a name, and that's what Chenu has done. And you have to give the workflow some set of permissions so it can read the data from those databases or from those um, locations, from those services. Give it an, a prefix, and go ahead and create it. Now, this demo is actually running live on our production service today. So it'll take a few minutes to actually create the workflow. It actually takes a few seconds. Hopefully, it doesn't take a few minutes. We'll run out of time in the talk. Yes, OK. The demo gods are happy today. So um, we're going uh, to now run the, demo, uh, run the workflow. Go ahead. All right, so we've started the workflow. You can actually see um, that the workflow has started. It's running. Why don't you click into the workflow to see what it's actually doing? You can actually get more information about the workflow, about what are the individual subtasks that are actually running in that workflow by clicking View Graph. And what you're, going, what you're doing now is going over to AWS Glue. Glue is the thing that's actually running this workflow for you. It's got all of the primitives that are necessary for ingesting the data. And you can see it's got a fairly complex graph. And what you can do is you can actually monitor what's going on through Glue on how far things have run, what's left to do, and uh, just get a status of what's going on, especially if, if something goes wrong, you can see where it breaks. Um, you can actually go into Glue and actually build all kinds of workflows. This is just a workflow that's created from one of the templates that we have. Depending on the template, the workflow can vary. So we're going to go let this run. I'll tell you a little bit more about our cleaning pro uh, some of the other cleaning features that we have while this is running. All right, so we talked about uh, blueprints. I think the only point that I um, that was left to made about left to make about blueprints is that um, uh, you can customize your blueprints. Uh, excuse me, you can customize your workflows for your needs. If the blueprint isn't doing exactly what you want to do, you can have it create those workflows, uh, go down into Glue, and, and edit and modify what's going on there yourself if you'd like. A lot of our customers come to us and say, what's the difference between LakeFormation and Glue? Well, we just showed you. LakeFormation is the service that's really targeted for data analysts, data stewards, um, data engineers, it's a higher level service that's actually that's built on the primitives that Glue provides. Glue has a number of primitives that you can use. A lot of developers love Glue. And let's talk a little bit about some of those primitives so that you understand what's going on underneath the covers. So Glue provides a number of scalable serverless components that help you build data lakes. The first one is a data catalog. It's fully managed, and it's Hive Metastore compatible. It's basically a metadata service. It stores all the information about your tables, your databases, columns, their data types, schemas, and so on and so forth. And the data catalog is integrated with pretty much all of our analytic services so they can access data that's referenced by the data catalog. Alongside the data catalog are crawlers. Again, fully managed. You can run crawlers over any data set that you have in S3 and, they're all, and they will automatically infer the contents of that data. They'll figure out what the compression type is, unpack it. They'll figure out what format it is, unpack that, infer the schema automatically. We have a number of AI techniques to be able to do that, extract some statistics, and then populate the data catalog 
and it will also um, extract how the data is laid out um, on S3 to make it faster and easier to query that data. At the core of Glue is a serverless ETL platform. What does this mean? Well, we basically give you serverless Apache Spark. You give us a PySpark script or a Scala script that runs in Spark. Uh, we automatically provision the necessary resources for that job, run it for you, and shut it down. You have to manage no machines. You don't have to manage networks or configure any networks, networking settings. We do all of that for you. And you only pay for the, the time that the script is running. So it gives you a serverless interface. You can also interactively um, create those scripts using our GUI that we have in our console. Now, those scripts will turn into jobs, but you may have multiple jobs that have to run in succession. You might want to intersperse them with crawlers. And so you want to actually create sort of uh, flexible workflows that get a larger task done. You want to actually orchestrate all of this. And so we actually give you an orchestration system. You can author and uh, monitor the workflows that you create using our orchestration system in Glue. And it sends out alerts um, with uh, CloudWatch, so you can integrate other external services uh, with it. OK, we showed you the workflows. Now, let me tell you a little bit about some of the transforms that we have added as part of lake formation to make it simple for cleaning your data. A, common, a really common task that you see customers have is the task of actually integrating multiple data sets that represent the same thing. Happens all the time. In this case, I'm giving you an example where you're merging two different catalogs that represent the same things, but those things are not repre represented exactly the same in the records. So an example here is we're showing two different types of, uh, two, uh, a catalog with two um, entries for shoes. One entry says Trask Saddler, the other one entry says Men's Saddler Penny Loafer. They have roughly the same colors and the options. Um, they're roughly the same price. You and I can look at this and say, well, this is probably the same product and the same shoe. So that record would look the same for us. But if you had to go and programmatically do this, it would be a complete pain. And whatever you know, set of heuristics or rules that you would code up would have to change you know, based on the catalog, based on the product, and be really, really painful to actually you know, get done and couldn't scale it to any reasonable size. So we have a number of ML techniques that we used internally in Amazon Retail to make this work at scale that we have now released to you as part of AWS Glue. You can actually use it. We let you train models that um, will do this merging of data sets and finding duplicates across these data sets automatically for you, and then run it across your data sets. You can use it for deduplication. You could also use it for record linking if you have two different set data sets and you want to know which records are the same. So how does this work? Well, the naive technique here is pretty simple. You look at all your records and you want to do fuzzy deduplication. You basically look at every pair of records, have some scoring function, and then do some kind of thresholding to find out you know, which records are the same and which records aren't this, you know, are different. The problem with that approach is twofold. One. You know, if you get to some reasonable size of records, maybe 10,000 or 100,000 records, it's going to take you forever because it's an n-squared problem. The other problem with this is, again, depending on your scoring function, um, 
it's really not going to work that well. You're not going to get very good accuracy. So our scientists have been working pretty hard in making sure that you can do this well. And these algorithms actually can get you into the high 90s in terms of accuracy and recall. Um, and they can actually let you scale uh, to very large data set sizes. The way they do this is they actually break up the problem into three steps. The first step is to not look at every you know, n squared pair of records. And instead, put these records into bins. And in each one of these bins, records are likely to have matches. And across bins, they're not. This is a step called blocking. And when you're actually training your machine learning transform in Glue, you can tune how well this works. The bigger the bins, the more expensive the algorithm will be, but the more accurate it will be. The smaller the bins, the less accurate, but the cheaper it will be. And this is going to depend on your, on your data set and your workload and where you want to set this. The next part of the algorithm is going to use a number of features to actually score whether two records are the same or not. And it's going to adjust the weights of these features based on positive and negative examples that you're going to give it. Typically, we like you, we ask you to give us at about 1,000 examples, 10 sets of 10, roughly, um, where you tell us whether two things ought to be the same or ought to be different. And that'll adjust the weights for the scoring. And then the last part of this algorithm is to actually, based on the scores, uh, create partitions or basically groups that tell you that the things in the group are, are the same record. And we have a number of interesting heuristics that make the, the, partitioning, um, the partitioning step much more accurate. And you can also control uh, the partitioning, the precision and recall for the partitioning um, as you wish. And once you've done this and you've created a model, you can run this over and over again for any new data set that you have um, uh, to do the deduplication. The main point that I want to make here is that we can scale pretty well uh, and handle about a half a, billion dollar, uh, half a billion rows in under three hours. The previous state of the art used to take several weeks to solve this problem. Um, and it's available to, available to you just basically you know, at no additional cost on top of the cost of glue. All right, now let's talk about centralized permissions. How do you actually set up permissioning, and how does that work inside of Glue? You're going to have the data steward, and she's going to be the one that's responsible for creating the permissions on your various data lake resources, the tables, the databases, and down to the column level. She's going to specify them um, using lake formation. You're going to shut off access to this data uh, through S3. And users are only going to access and analyze this data through the integrated services that we have. We have four integrated services, Athena, Redshift, Glue, and Amazon EMR. Those services are going to consult LakeFormation to see if those users have access to that data and what parts of that data they have access to. And then if they have access, the data is going to get back to um, the integrated services, and they'll do the analysis and give the answer. The permissions in lake formation don't look like JSON policies. They look like simple grant and revoke statements, the kind you would have in a database system. And the permissions that you can specify, um, uh, you can specify down to the column level. So you might have a user, for example, Chenu, who's only allowed to access the bottom, col bottom columns of this particular table. And perhaps Joe is only allowed to access the top columns. And you can, use, you can actually specify any subset of these columns for whatever users you want. 
and we don't replicate the data. Uh, we don't create materialized views or any of that stuff. All of this stuff is happening on demand as the data is being pulled off. In addition, in Lake Formation, you can easily view the permissions in a single pane of glass. So you're not searching in five or six different places to see who has access to what. And then finally, you can audit all accesses in a single place. Many have asked us, well, does this mean that we no longer use IAM? That's not quite the case. The Lake Formation permissions model actually works in conjunction with IAM. The way to think about this is IAM still gives you the coarse grain permissions to access the catalog. And then what we ask you to do is provide all of the fine grain permissions on the databases, tables, and columns through Lake Formation. And underneath the covers, Lake Formation is really just using um, IAM and its APIs to break up access to the underlying objects using a technique called credential vending. Let me walk you through that. So imagine you have a user. In this case, in Lake Formation, users can be IAM users, roles, or they may be actually users that are federated um, through some other identity provider like Active Directory. A user is going to come in and ask a query to do some analytics, say perhaps over a table T. One of, some one of these analytics services, say Amazon Athena, is going to then going to request access to the underlying table. Now, many objects comprise this table. Lake Formation is going to go and check to see if the user is authorized to access that table and then return short-term credentials for that table, along with what columns of that table that user has access to. The service is then going to request access to the underlying objects that comprise T. It's going to go directly to S3 to act, access that. Those objects are going to get returned back to the service. All of the columns, all of the rows are there, and the filtering happens inside the service. So it happens inside of Athena, or if you're using Redshift, it happens inside of Redshift. That means there's no intermediary in the data path when you're actually running these queries. You don't have to pay the cost of an additional hop or you know, any additional cost for actually running additional servers that do filtering. Lake formation is also backward compatible. What does this mean? If you've already set up a data lake using the Glue Data Catalog with all of these various permissions, you don't have to give that up. Leave the metadata there, leave the data there. There's a five-step process to upgrade from your data catalog permissions that you have to lake formation permissions. And we can show you how that works offline. There are a number of uh, chalk talks and, and, builders, uh, and sessions out there that, that will show you how to do it. All right, so let's see how all this stuff works. Now we set up our, um, our data lake. Hopefully it's, it's done running. Has it loaded? Yes, it's completed. Okay, it worked today. Sorry. Let's go, let's go to the data, database and take a look at the table. There's that database. Open it up. You'll see that there's a view tables, and it created a CloudTrail table, and it's got Parquet data in it. That's the CloudTrail data you just indigested. Let's give Let's give um, permissions to this table to two different types of users. There's going to be one user, let's just call it the data owner, I think is what we're calling it, right? What did we call it? The Redshift user. OK, great. And uh, that Redshift user is going to have access to all the columns in the data set. Perhaps this is a data admin or a 
or a data engineer that needs to do some ETL or create derived data sets. The thing to notice is that Chenyu just gave access by just selecting the database, the table, and the operation that that user is allowed to do. These are high-level operations like selecting or inserting or dropping a table or altering the metadata. And these operations require many API calls. They're not specifying all of these things. These things all are happening under the covers. Go ahead and grant it. Now let's create another user. Or actually, we already have the user. Let's create another permission for a user called a data analyst. Okay, great. And that data analyst is going to go to the database, going to go to the same table, but we're only going to give it select permissions for a subset of the columns. We can use, you can give it the list of columns to include or exclude. In this case, we're just going to include the columns that they're allowed to access. Perhaps this is a data analyst that's just doing some simple analysis. So let's get the first five columns in there. Four, it doesn't matter. Okay, great. We're going to give it select access to those columns. And one more thing I want to tell you, let you know that in, in our model, not only can you give permissions to select these things, but you also can delegate permissions. So you can say that the user has a the ability to grant other users select access or other users um, drop or delete access. It's kind of like the, the grant option that you find in a database system. Okay, go ahead and grant. All right, great. So now we've specified the permissions. Let's see what happens. Let's go to Athena. So remember, this was through Athena, there's going to be the data analyst. The data analyst can actually see the database. Let's take a look at the table that, it, uh, that, it, that he or she sees. You see that it, that person can only see the four columns that we specified. She doesn't even know that the CloudTrail data might have another 15 columns underneath it. Let's run the query. When you run the query, here's what you'll see. Um, you only see the columns uh, that you specified. Now let's go over to Redshift. Same thing. One of the things that we do have to do in Redshift is tell, the direct, tell Redshift which database to connect to and which schema to, uh, to associate it with. So let's do that here. And it's using the lake formation role that we set up to be able to access that schema or that database. Awesome. Okay, Shannon, you want to, yeah, there you go. Go to the database, you'll see the table. And, you know, this was a data owner or a data admin, and in this case, that data owner sees all the columns. And if you run the query, all of the columns will come back. This is all internet delay. Uh, the performance that you see here is not indicative of the performance that you're going to see when you go home and try to run these things. All right, while it's running, why don't we go over to the next pane? Um, this pane basically shows you what a data admin or a data steward is going to take a, uh, be able to see. These are all the accesses that have happened to that table and to those databases in a single place. You can look at the event the principle that did that access, when it happened, and if you double-click on it, you can actually see much, many more details about the context of that access. All happens is in a single place. It's actually put into CloudTrail for you, and you actually can bring that CloudTrail data back into your data lake and query it with Athena. 
kind of mind-bending, huh? All right, let's keep going. See if the Redshift uh, query has finished. There it is, and it has obviously a lot more columns than the other query you had. So we set up a data lake today for you on S3, showed you how you can set up permissions for users with different access controls, and they can access this stuff from anywhere in AWS. Should we go back? All right, so that was the work for users. Now let's see what happens. Oh yeah, one more thing I want to talk about is the data catalog itself. Um, the data catalog, we've added features to uh, allow you to annotate the metadata in the data catalog. Um, you've ar already been able to annotate things like tables and, and databases. Now you can annotate columns. We've also provided keyword search across all these annotations, as well as the other metadata in the metadata catalog. And this is going to enable customers or your users to actually discover what data sets are relevant to them. And we're adding more and more features along the lines of, of business user um, that would be useful for a business user. LakeFormation today is available in something like 13 regions here. And we're adding more and more regions over time. We've got four integrated services. All of them are GA except for EMR, which is in public beta. We urge you to try this stuff out, and we want to hear from you. With that, I want to thank you for coming to this presentation at the end of reInvent, and I want to hand it over to Joe, who's going to tell you about their journey and getting all of this stuff to work. Thanks a lot. Great. Thanks, Mahul. Thanks, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, say that anybody that's given presentations, you know, that uh, Murphy likes to show up. So I applaud Mahul for doing the demo there. But uh, who's going to replay tonight? Show of hands. Okay, I'll make sure these next 60 slides go very fast. Only kidding. I know we want to get there as soon as we can. So again, my name is Joe Sieper. I lead uh, a talented, I have the privilege of leading a talented group of individuals for global infrastructure and operations engineers, architects, data engineers, uh, DevOps, SREs. Um, prior to NewSkin, I was a senior consultant with Amazon Web Services on the professional services side for about two and a half years, um, doing cloud consulting and um, helping enterprises on their digital journey and tr uh, DevOps transformations. Prior to that, I um, uh, led successful uh, startups and uh, trans uh, exits as well, and. Uh, also led uh, R&D for uh, telecom and aerospace, um, things like the Mars rovers and uh, James West Wave Webb Space Telescope. So um, let's go ahead and get started. So NewSkin today is in 48 countries around the world. We operate, um, you know, APAC, EMEA, uh, Europe, A Africa, the Pacific, um, but. We are a MLM, a direct sales company. So we are built on a foundation of over 200 quality products that uh, are originated in personal and uh, personal care and nutrition. So one of the things that really attracted me to NewSkin is the, the force for good. We've donated over 650 mi million meals to families in need, and that, that count is growing every year. So, and as of 2018, uh, and approaching a $3 billion revenue, we are a publicly traded company. So our uh, mission statement is uh, to be a force for good throughout the world by empowering people to improve lives 
with uh, rewarding business opportunities to, and innovative products and, and enriching, uplifting culture. So we allow people that want to start their own businesses and want to be able to sell their own products and things like that, we give them the tools and capabilities to be able to do that. So as you can imagine, we're very customer focused as AWS is today. So one of the reasons why I'm standing up here today is we did a transformation with NewSkin that started back in 2018. And uh, as of this year, we started in 2019 an all-in migration of our data center and that finished in August 18th. Um, and one of the, you know, the, you know, some of the bullets you see here, cost-effective, scalable, modern standards, architectures, but the biggest thing is faster innovation. And we want to be able to give those insights and access to that data uh, very quickly and very efficiently. So one of the key things, as you see in this next slide, um, this demo, um, infographic is that we, comparable migrations, we did it 25% faster, took us eight months, 15 two-week sprints, we did it in an agile manner. Um, and you can see in the middle there, we took almost 1,000 servers down to about half of that and applications down to almost a third of that uh, using uh, the migration acceleration program. Um, one of the things I like to talk about is the innovation. I've categorized them out and where we have actual resources working on innovation. So almost 8,000 hours to date this year on innovation and almost 2,000 hours just on data lake and lake formation. And one of the things I'll talk about in the upcoming slides is one of the things we're using lake formation for is automating our daily sales report. So we have, again, 52, 52 markets in 48 countries trying to figure out how we did from a revenue perspective on a day-to-day -day basis can be very complicated when you're dealing in multiple currencies, uh, multiple commissions, things like that. You have to be very accurate, but it takes a lot of time. So what we did is we set off as part of this transformation is to build out a data lake. And the reason that we wanted to do this is through the use cases that we had to have our own mission statement around to drive opportunities for our customers. We wanted to be able to empower our end users uh, to make data-driven decisions. Let's not look in the rearview mirror. Let's look in the windshield in front of us to actually make that decision rather than say, why did we make that decision? Um, give flexibility um, to our stakeholders and what they're actually going to use. You know, we have a lot of data sources. Everybody today, everybody sitting out there today has databases. We have third-party data sources, Oracle, SQL, you name it, Google Analytics, APM tools, you name it. So, uh, we are a big uh, SAP environment, ERP, and one of the things we are doing through supply chain is using AWS forecasting to help set inventory levels, you know, help with our energy maps of what we should manufacture and what should be on the shelves when we actually do a promotion or event. So when we were building out our data lake, there was three main areas that I had the team focus on. Um, it must be easy to manage, simple security model, save time and resources, cost effective, but it has to be transparent, low barrier of entry for anybody that wants to get access to that, that data. So what we started off in designing, um, just to give you a little high level design, is four different zones. And as you can see on the left hand side there, there's the, the raw area that is the unmodified original source as is dropping in, and that's 
obviously via API calls or Kinesis streams uh, coming in. Then we hit the formatted section. That's the parquet, snappy, partitioned data. So it's compressed and uh, efficient when we go to hit with Athena or Redshift. Then we have transform. So that's anything that we're doing with our business rules, um, ELT, and then published, which is very controlled. So there's, if there's PII data or anything like that, but the published zone is where everybody's gonna live. So if they have a visualization tool, anything like that, they wouldn't be able to go get that data really quickly. And then obviously Glacier to lifecycle policy that data out. And then on the right, if you look at a lake, you want to create a lake, not a swamp. So we have to be very careful about what it data comes in and who has access to that data. So when you fill up a lake, it starts at the bottom. So as you can see, if we start filling up, there's the raw as, as is controlled, and you see it's operational data. Does that see that trident on the right side? Not a lot of people are going to get access to that. And we have to somehow automate and manage that. Um, then we hit formatted, you know, transformed, and published. So we want to be able to teach everybody to swim and dive deep in the areas that they need to, but only when they need to. Well, we can't have data being, you know, PII data or specific data to stakeholders that they shouldn't be seeing, such as, you know, financial reports, you know, publicly traded company. You have to protect a lot of that data that sits out there. So, now taking that from a different angle, um, we have, it's three main areas that I focused around is data ingestion and quality data engineering, and then data science and analytics. And you can see on the left-hand side, we're taking everything from social data to uh, sales data to inventory and uh, the disparate data sources, the Oracle, SQL Server, MySQL, everything that we have. And we're using Matillion on the front end, obviously, with other uh, uh, AWS tools like Kinesis Streams, Firehose, to be able to drop all of that data into the raw and then um, Calibra is more of a data governance, data lineage tool so that we can understand where that data is coming from so we have go governance around it. And then you can see Redshift is being able to hit through Spectrum going into formatted and transformed if we want to be able to grab that data really quickly. And then as you go further to the right, we are using a tool called Alteryx uh, for machine learning uh, business users to be doing their own ETL, e ELT and then machine learning with SageMaker, and then the visualization tools that we have today are Power BI and MicroStrategy. So everything I said there is great, but how do you automate it all? How do you really get every stage of this to be self-sufficient? So when we, I knew of AWS Lake Formation before I joined NewSkin in June of this year, and I was very highly anticipating, waiting for it to be released, and the one thing that I really wanted to focus on is using it for was administration and security. Lake formation can span the whole subset of this pipeline you see in front of you, but the biggest thing that was tripping us up was administration and securing that data to the specific stakeholders. So before lake formation, this is exactly what we were trying to do or planning to do. So you can see the raw data that was coming in we're going to have to literally copy that data uh, and only remove the elements that we needed for specific stakeholders. So all data there, some no PIIs, who wants the data? So that means requests coming in, making copies, multiple keys in that same bucket, 
then you see, okay, as Mahul talked about, the S3 bucket policy. There's objects, you have to keep updating that, keep up with that. Your glue catalog, those metadata policies, it's never ending, it's growing. Um, at the end of the day, it becomes very error prone and risk adverse to, uh, to doing that. So it's duplicative work and we didn't want to do that. So here is, um, and as we go back to the 310, it's easy to manage and simple security model. This is a, a snapshot as you saw in the demo before, but from our sales orders, um, this is a small table in a big database, but you can see there's multiple columns that I can give access to, revoke access to, but it eliminates all those S3 bucket policies that are out there today. So it's a simple grant revoke model for permission. So entry, low barrier of entry for your data engineers, anybody that's a database engineer or has worked around databases, it's gonna be simple for you to pick up and use right away. So now this is what that last slide, a uh, couple slides ago went to. It got rid of all the copying of that data. So the data duplication went away and now we only have everything through LakeFormation. LakeFormation uh, transparently handles all of that DB grant syntax. It's behind the scenes and it's familiar user interface that uh, the engineers and data scientists can use. So some of the key KPIs that you, you look in the bottom right is 43% reduction just in copying data with the first use case. Because of that sales data, people couldn't see specific data points or shouldn't see specific. We're gonna end up copying that 43% more than we should have. Um, and that led to a 37%, almost 40% reduction in operations of building out lambdas, building out pipelines, building out how we were gonna manage S3 bucket policies. It took all of that away. So what you saw in the, in the demo is that literally I can come in now, and I've done this many times with the team, is we can give the CFO access to what he needs to see, but then a financial planner, something else, and this is exactly how it is. Specific columns on the, sp on the same table and the same database, what they need to be able to do. So in the last um, area requirement that we wanted to make it transparent, and Lake Formation is transparent. It literally just gives short-term credentials to all of the services on the right. So it inherently works with every service that you see. QuickSites, SageMaker, Glue, um, Redshift, and that's big because we've chosen Redshift as our, da our data warehouse moving off of Oracle. So having that availability to reach in but then also have column level uh, permissions put on top of it is the, the way we wanted to go. So unified controls and seamless integration was a, was a big point for us. So to wrap up across all three areas there, you know, it's a lower learning curve. You don't have to worry about the, the JSON style syntax of S3 bucket policies. Uh, it's a single dashboard interface. You get column level permissions out of the box, something you'd have to duplicate data all day long. Um, and then uh, it reduces the process of having to onboard new people into your engineering team, but also your um, functional areas, legal, HR, um, finance, and how, what the data they want from day to day. And it's transparent. It just works out of the box. There was no, I mean, we already had our data lake set up, and we were waiting on lake formation to be released, and it came out, I think, two weeks later, and we were able to uh, apply it in place in a brownfield, not a greenfield, so it works 
with your uh, lake, uh, data lakes today. So this is great, Joe. You showed me a lot of slides. Give me an actual use case. I really like to see the demos myself. But uh, uh, we talked about the daily sales report that on a day-to-day -day basis, how many people touching that, it's 40 combined uh, plus hours down to 15 minutes. Uh, the big thing, that, that use case in Lake Formation helped us is the sensitive, sensitive and critical data that's uh, located in, the, in that, uh, in the data that we're extracting from SAP and from various uh, government entities on what we're doing for transactions in those, uh, uh, those areas of the world. So we were able to literally put the permissions in place. We were looking at about a two and a half month setup time before Lake Formation. We were able to get it really quickly and ready in three weeks by putting lake formation on top and then actually just giving the column level access, no copying of data. We scrapped all that architecture and literally just went straight with lake formation. So and it's in production today. So uh, if you ever see our CFO, he'd probably be like, yes, this is the best thing he's ever seen because he's able to get his reports in 15 minutes now every day. So some of the plan use cases that we're looking at is natural langu language uh, processing uh, with sentiment analysis, things. Uh, from Synthesio that we're talking from our call center, from social, uh, clickstream, and then inventory forecasts. We're doing a lot of stuff with AWS forecasts today. So all that data that's coming in still needs a lot of security around it. So our CISO, everybody that I'm partnering with, loves Lake Formation because it allows us to secure it down to that level, and they can audit us at any point in time through an API endpoint if they wanted to. Um, but we are looking, as I said, Lake Formation can go that whole pipeline. We only did it on administration and security. We're looking at the ingestion blueprints, how they can help you know, build upon what Matillion does today, and then also the duplicate matching. When you have multiple data sources out there, I, was, I knew there was going to be duplicates, but there's a lot of duplicates out there, but it's just a different name than what it's actually named coming into the data lake. So that's exactly where we're at. Um, and um, so a little blurb for me, I won't read it to you, but the, the, the goal was that it was an easy to use security layer right out of the box that allow us to accelerate our data lake and uh, putting that into production. So, and last but not least, uh, during this transformation, um, Newskin had, had maybe five certifications in AWS. Today we have over 70, and it wouldn't have been out without AWS training and certification. And we've had uh, everything from big data to DevOps to security. So uh, I'd encourage you to go take a look at AWS training and certification and see about what you could do with Lake Formation and other services that were released here this week. So thank you very much.